oh, I kind of failed my dog and I just feel awful. And uh, it will, it will take me out for a couple of hours. And at some point, just this winter, I realized like, okay, this is not okay for you anymore. I know firsthand that when you're raising a challenging, reactive or aggressive dog, that life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. But I also know that it helps to hear other people's stories. My name is Kaiser van Overbeek, and on this podcast, we share stories of the force-free training journeys of amazing dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. Today, we are talking to Alyssa Chasen, all the way from Madison, Wisconsin. And since I'm here in Holland, in Europe, we had to deal with a bit of time difference again, but we made it work. So thank you. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy weekend to talk to me and to share your story um, about basically your journey with your dog. So over to you, Alyssa. Great. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, like you said, my name is Alyssa Chasen, and I'm here in Madison, Wisconsin on this very cold February day. Um, I am a scientist. I work for the university, and we've had Bodhi now for just over three years. So we adopted him in December three years ago um, from a rescue organization. And I should say, too, that I wanted a dog for so long. Like, I wanted a dog forever and ever and ever. And I just was waiting until I felt like I was an adult enough to take care of one. So when we finally got him, I was over the moon. Um, he came to us as an 11-week-old. And um, I think his background is that based on when they found him and aged him. He probably got lost during one of the hurricanes in Texas and then was found on the side of the road by himself uh, when he was about seven weeks old. And then there was a foster that kept him in Texas for a couple of weeks before he was transported to Wisconsin. So you don't know to what age he was actually able to stay with his mom. That's right. Yeah, I have no idea. Because he was found totally by himself. So that could probably already be some contributing factor, you know, that he was basically, he lost his mom at a very young age. Yeah, that's a hypothesis for sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, but he did get to live for the first couple of weeks that I know his story from like seven weeks until 11 weeks old with a woman in Texas and her dog. So he was socialized at that point with a dog in the house and, got along fine with that dog. Um, yeah. And then transported up to Wisconsin through a rescue called Patty's Paws. That does very good work. I am very happy with that rescue organization. Um, and yeah, and we live in downtown Madison, Wisconsin. So we live right in the heart of all the cafes and bars and, um, and restaurants. And that's definitely a contributing factor to his reactivity. Um, yeah. So would you say that reactivity is the main thing that you're struggling with? 
Yeah. So he is what I would call leash reactive. Um, Cause for example, I feel so lucky about this, but we can take him to off leash dog parks, like really large off leash dog parks um, where he can run around and he won't get into fights with dogs. Um, he really wants to sniff other dogs and greet them. He doesn't want to play with strange dogs, um, but he has a very, very intense desire to meet them, which I think plays into his leash reactivity because he's very frustrated when he cannot just sniff a dog and move on. Um, so yeah, he's just leash reactive, which basically manifests in lunging, barking, pulling on the leash whenever we see a trigger. And this could be a dog that's like an entire block down from us, or um, it used to just be dogs. And now sometimes it's people one of the trainers we worked with called this like um, maybe associative or something because now he thinks that people just come with dogs. So he starts to react to just people on the street, um, even though he's not like sometimes he doesn't react at all to people, which is very interesting. And another trend that we've noticed is if we like got out of the car, if we take him somewhere and we get out of the car and there's already a bunch of people, he acclimates very well. So there'd be people there. But if we were somewhere where there was nobody when we first get out of the car anytime we see someone he'll bark at them so yeah. that's um that's an interesting little thing about him um but yeah he's not aggressive and like we can have people over and he's very sweet with people and he even has a couple of doggy friends um so yeah that's that's his little story there and has he had the leash reactivity for all of his life or did that start at a specific age that you can recall it's it's likely that he kind of had it his whole life but when he was little um we let him meet every dog that we saw on the street so we thought that we were doing a good job of socializing him by just like interacting with every dog and every person we saw and um he did pretty well like he actually that was fine like we could meet dogs on the street and um and it went well until uh we noticed that like if there was a dog across the street and we can't like go out of our way to just meet every single dog that we encounter he would sort of lose his mind or even like there was one time that somebody crossed on the same side of the street as us and I asked if my dog could meet them and she said no sorry my dog can't and then Bodhi lost his mind and I mean like He was pulling to the end of the leash. He like maybe flipped up in the air. It was it was pretty ugly. Um, and that's sort of when I realized like, oh, we kind of have an issue to deal with. <laughs> uh. That is such a, some, a story that I can identify with, you know, because I have a, a cattle dog and people always told me like I've never had a cattle dog before. I'm also a first time dog owner, so I'm not entirely sure what I was thinking when I got the breed. But um, um They told me, yeah, they're usually not all that great with dogs and um, humans, um, they tend to be very selective. So socialization is a super important part of raising a cattle dog. And so idiot me also thought that socialization meant that, you know, you get to let him meet every freaking dog that you meet on a walk for the first couple of weeks of his life. Little did I know. So that sounds so 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 familiar to me as well what would you do differently now if you had like with the knowledge that you had now how would you have done it yeah that's a great question 
it's it's still like a concept that is not totally clear to me. But my understanding would be that we would we might just go sit outside and watch things go by, and I might just um, like give him treats for noticing different things. I would probably want to expose him to more different types of people, more different types of dogs, but maybe from a distance. Um, he also is like scared to walk over surfaces. So I learned also that like letting them walk over different types of surfaces when they're young would be helpful. Like sometimes he, if we come to a bridge, he like won't walk over the bridge at all. Um, or yeah, some weird things. So just, I think more, like I said, it's still a concept that is not fully formed in my head, but I, what I do know is it does not mean meeting every dog. Um, that's the yeah. that's that's the message that came across for me too. And like you said, I'm not entirely sure. Like I'm I'm not a dog trainer. You know, I just read uh, a lot of things about um, positive reinforcement training or force free training, um, whichever definition you want to use. Um, but yeah, I I do know it's not meeting every other dog. I assume it's actually more of um. Um, you know, be able to focus on on me or um, whoever the person is that's with him at that time and um, just accept that those other things exist, that those dogs are there, but that you, do, you don't need to do anything with those dogs. You know, you can just still um, work with your person. Although I have to say that, I mean, like from puppy on, I struggled with that so much. People would tell me, Oh, if if he gets distracted or if he's um I don't know, yeah, too much distracted by another dog, you could try and um scatter treats on the ground and then he could sniff the treats while the other dog goes by. And I always thought, well, have you met my dog? Like I can scatter like, I don't know, fresh chicken on the ground and he won't care because he's seen the other dog. So what what do you do then? I mean, now in hindsight probably would be like increase the distance and things, but still. Yeah still you don't always have that opportunity yeah that is one of the most frustrating pieces of advice that is like well okay if your dog can't accept treats he's over threshold so you have to increase the distance but if you're living in a city with dogs coming at you from every corner you really can't increase the distance easily most of the time and um one thing about Bodhi that is particular, and I think this is different for other reactive dogs, like he doesn't want to get out of the situation. He wants to sit there and stare. Sometimes he wants to get closer. Like people are always like, okay, well, if he's over threshold, you have to get out of the situation. But that just means pulling on the leash for me or picking him up. And neither of those things does he really want me to do. Um, they sort of amp up the situation. Uh, so that's something we've also been learning together is how to deal with a situation that we need to get out of. Um, have you come up with yeah. some something that works for now or that seems to be I, working? Because that's always, it's not always the same thing. That's great. I actually do think I'm starting to figure this out. I don't know why I didn't do this earlier, but I, I think I'm trying to create a conditioned emotional response, a positive conditioned emotional response to the leash pulling. So like inside the house, now when we get back from a walk, I will keep him on the leash for a couple minutes and just like, pull him on the leash and anytime he gives into leash pressure, I mark and reward. So I do think that's going to help a little bit. Like I see it, I see him not amping up the situation as much when we have to pull on the leash. Which you would do then to get him out of the situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then 
I like a, a small subtle detail there too that I notice is if I um, get my hand closer to his harness on the leash and and direct him from much closer to his body, he responds a lot easier than like if I just stay where I am with the handle on the leash and try to pull him from the end of the leash. If that makes sense. Because you're closer to him. It, to me, that makes sense. You know, you're closer to him. The, like the distance between the two of you is, is smaller than if you were to yeah. stay at the end of the leash. Of course, I don't know what, what length leash you have. Maybe it's a really short one. <laughs> no, mostly it's a six foot leash. But we did actually just start using like a 10 foot leash around just to give him more freedom since we noticed the leash was such a frustrating factor for him so like letting him have more freedom on the leash I think also helps keep him just a little calmer in, when we're out and about maybe another question have you always um, raised him with force free training or did you cross over from from uh, balanced or or, or more um, punishment based training um, yeah, we have always tried to do positive reinforcement and force-free, though the more I learn about that, the easier it is to see that, like, not everything I've done has been such, like, um, you know, anytime I'm raising my voice at him, it could be seen as aversive, and certainly there have been times that I've been frustrated with him, and I probably, you know, treated him in a way that I wish I hadn't, um, but all of my intentional training has been force-free and positive reinforcement. What you say makes so much sense and it even applies to uh, raising children. I have a friend of mine who once told me, oh, raising children is super easy um, when you're not tired and you don't have anywhere to go. And <laughs> I really, I looked at him and I thought, oh, Wow, that is so true. And I think it's the same for dogs, you know, like when you're not tired, you have the patience to look at the situation and go and think it through and go, okay, what can I do here? What's the reason you're doing this? How can we go about it? Is there management I can try out? Um, you know, but if not, if your nerves are already frazzled, sure. I mean, I'm going to raise my voice every now and then and then instantly regret it. But I've also <laughs> learned to forgive myself and go, well, you're only human and and the right. same thing for places to go you know like okay you are not gonna rush out the door because um we're you know we've trained for waiting in front of the door and waiting for your release and crap if that takes like 10 times for you to get it because you're not in the mood i know i'm gonna have to wait and like wait out the 10 times until it works but I have to be at the vet in one minute or, you know, like one minute, but, you know, I have to be in the car to get somewhere in a minute and I don't have the time. So that's all those practical things where you sometimes know like, oh, what I'm doing now is not ideal for training, but nah. Yeah, yeah I have started to try to be a lot more cautious of that. Like if I'm not in the mindset to take him out, I just try not to do it. There are occasions where he has to go out because I have to get somewhere and I know he has to relieve himself first, but I really try not to take him out on a walk unless I'm like prepared to be patient and present. <laughs> yeah. So that's all the self-development that, that they're teaching us. You know, I always joke, you don't need a psychologist or a coach or any of that. You just need to get a dog and they'll teach you. <laughs> 
Yes, definitely. Um, you said that you live in the city, and I find that very recognizable because I also live, well, it's not a city like in the US, but the block that I live on has sort of a, a dog behind every second door and across the street. So a lot of the times it's just not possible to avoid dogs or to, um, yeah, basically to cross the street or, or increase the distance. It's just not an option. I'm assuming it is the same where you live. Yeah, it's totally the same. It's so crazy. Sometimes you take them for a walk and you'll like get one or two blocks from the house and you're like, well, this is a great walk. We haven't seen any dogs. And then you turn the corner and there's like a dog coming at you from one side, a dog coming from at you from the other side and a dog coming out of the house you're standing in front of and you just like freeze. You're like, okay, we are in a situation that we have to get out of right away. But yeah, there's... And in particular, there's a study that was done in my city, and I live in the part of the city that has the highest density of dogs. No. Um, so it, <laughs> it is a challenging part of the city to be raising a reactive, a leash reactive dog in. Um, and yeah, and I guess I'll say, you know, this was when I really noticed that concept of like threshold. And um, I don't know if you've heard the the like metaphor of filling a dog's cup where like each little trigger event happens and it starts to fill up their cup and um, they can probably take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then at some point, like even just smelling, like, I think it'll just be like smelling a dog that was there. Like, cause I don't know there's something that was there that he's picked up on that I don't see. And he'll just start barking like at nothing. Um, and I've literally been like, is there a ghost here? Or maybe there's a cat under a porch. Like, I don't know. There was nothing. And then all of a sudden he's just barking and he lost his mind and we got to get home because the rest of the walk is just going to be extremely stressful for both of us. Um, my point being that I, when I visit my parents who live in the suburbs, um, there's a lot more space and there's many, there's far fewer dogs. and you know, if we see a dog, it's normally from a larger distance and we can just sort of deal with it, like take a U-turn and get out of the situation. And um, he's a much easier dog to walk in a different neighborhood, in a different environment. And other than being easier to walk, do you also um, see that he's calmer at home or do you see a difference in, in, yeah, in behavior inside the house? That's a really good question. I don't think I do. Like, um, at my folks house, there's a couple different things going on here because when we're at our house, we have actually like blocked off the front windows. So he can't just sit and watch the front windows and like stare for squirrels. Cause we've done a lot of management here, but like at my parents' house, he'll just sit and watch the front window for the squirrels because they have a huge window. <laughs> so he's still like amped up at their house and in our house he's become actually quite calm like he feels really safe here he's not on guard unless like we actually hear the mailman come to the door um he's he's pretty not reactive from the house which is great yeah that sounds good i i also identify with that because we part of the year we have a place in in austria in the mountains where my parents also live and when we go there i i also see a completely different dog like it's like you said it's almost like his cup doesn't get filled to to the brim it's like he's more relaxed there's less dogs when we do go on walks it's almost always in the mountains it's on trails he's on a long lead or off lead or wherever he's allowed 
he gets, of course, to sniff wherever and run and act like a crazy dog. But but mainly we don't meet that many other dogs and that many people. And I think it really makes a difference. And even um, like over there, we also don't have our, our windows blocked off. Not that we don't have the, uh, we have the windows open sort of here, but we have a balcony and then we've screened in the balcony. So you, you really cannot see outside that much. Um, but there, I think because it's because he's not so amped up all the time. He can deal with, you know, cars coming by or dogs um, walking down the street. I mean, we obviously we did still train it a lot. We did still go like, oh, yay, there's a dog coming. Yeah, treat. Super. And okay. to create that positive association. But I think it's really because he's more relaxed there that the the need to react is, isn't there as much. So I guess that contrary to you, I do see sort of a difference in behavior when he's inside the home, even when he's there. Obviously, we can't all move to the countryside and <laughs> have our dogs outside like that. But, you know. For mine, it might yeah, be a better better place to be. <laughs> so when we talked earlier, before we started recording, you also told me that you were doing pack walks with Bodhi. And this I found very interesting because I know in the force-free world, um, that's sort of a controversial topic. There's like uh, people who advocate for them a lot and people who say, no, um, stay far from it. Uh, what's your experience? Yeah, um, I also had read conflicting advice about this and was myself conflicted about what to do but uh, when the opportunity presented itself but um there's a local trainer here that we've done work with and she's all force free positive reinforcement etc and she has a group that she organizes for pack walks and essentially every dog that's in this group has gone through some training with her and she invites dogs to come and try out for these pack walks. So she's essentially, anytime a dog is coming to try out, she'll look at the dog's body language to make sure that she thinks this dog will be successful in the situation. And um, what we've noticed since we started doing this is like in these pack walks, Bodhi's just a totally different dog. He's like calm and confident and he's super excited. Like we'll get so we have to drive to these locations and I tell him we're going on these walks. And I, I think he's starting to get that, like that communication piece too. Um, and then we pull up and I, and he recognizes the dogs and he's just excited. He gets out. He doesn't even let out a bark. Like he's just excited to be there with the group. And um, we walk in a pack. It's nice because like everyone kind of knows the dogs don't interact on the leash. Like we're not letting the dogs, um, you know, greet each other or anything. Occasionally, like you'll get a little butt sniff here and there, but uh, the dogs typically don't get very close to each other. So we're just walking in this group, kind of taking up an entire sidewalk <laughs> anywhere from like anywhere from like five to 15 of us or something. And um, yeah, Bodhi's super confident and calm. He was really amped up the first couple of times and he like needed to pull to be the front of the group, which was very interesting. Um, and now he started to like relax and be in the middle of the group and he'll sniff and just be his regular like sniffy self, which is what he does mostly on his walks. And um, it's really, I think it's been really helpful. It's been helpful for him. It's really been helpful for me because it's a huge boost to my confidence too, um, which is a large part of the puzzle. <laughs> Have you had to, or, or what's a good way to phrase this? Like what's changed sort of since you've had 
Bodhi, like what kind of things have you had to adapt to uh, mentally? You know, you say it's a huge confidence boost. So what did it do to you uh, when, or what does it do to you when Bodhi reacts on leash? How does it make you feel and how are you dealing with that? Yeah. Oh, this is like such a big question. I wish so badly that we had recorded his reactions like a year or two ago and I could watch some of the transformation because I think that even now when he reacts, it's much less than it used to be, even though I still internally react just as poorly as I used to because like I see any reaction and I'm like, oh, I'm not successful at this. Like I didn't do this situation correctly. I didn't handle this well. I shouldn't have taken him here. What could I have done differently? Um, but I think like his reactions used to look really intense, like almost vicious. And he would almost always end up on two hind legs, like pulling to the end of the leash and like totally unable to redirect him. I think that was very frequent before. And now I think what's more common is he lets out some barks and he almost never gets up on his hind legs anymore. And then I can redirect him. He will go back to his initial like focus on the trigger, but I can like continue to redirect him, which I don't think I could do before. Um, so I, I think that's not necessarily about the pack walks and my confidence. One thing about the pack walks is that other people can observe me and tell me what's going on. Cause they're like, Oh, this is great. Like Bodhi, he's like, you know, he returns to his normal self really quickly. Like he might react, but then like within a couple moments, he's just like prancing along like a regular dog again, like a regular happy dog. And that's something that I didn't pick up on before that. Like, actually I'm more, challenged in regaining my composure than he is <laughs> and um <laughs> and uh noticing that has been helpful having some like external validation is helpful um and just like realizing that other people are struggling with it is always helpful and um and nobody's judging anybody in this group walk so like you know various dogs are you know pulling or like doing various things sometimes sometimes there's a couple of dogs that are still barking and having some antsy times there. Um, and we all just know that we're trying our best and that's really nice. Uh, um, just the word judgment sort of, it triggers something in me, but I sometimes think that the worst people judging us is us, you know, like we judge ourselves so harshly. This, what you said of um, th that you sort of, think, oh, I handled this badly. I should have, you know, uh, gone out of the way or realized the trigger was coming. I I sort of have that too. And I always, like, I always beat myself up about it. And sometimes I beat myself up about it, not just for for half an hour, but if if there was an incident, I would be sort of completely lost for the rest of the day and sort of be brooding on it and go like, that was horrible. That was just horrible. Why did you do that i mean i have to say i did get a little bit better about it um and i'm starting to learn to to as people always say you know take it as information and just uh you know it happened it happened it's in the past you can't change it anymore so you can sort of um stay mad sad or whatever about it for the rest of the day but it's not helping but still it's 
easier said than done. And I'm just wondering if you feel that you've gotten better at letting go of that feeling or that it's still there, very much there. Yeah, that's a great question too. I think only recently I've started to get better at this because just like you, I also sometimes like for the rest of the day, I'll be like, oh, I kind of failed my dog and I just feel awful. And uh, it will it will take me out for a couple of hours. And at some point, just this winter, I realized like, okay, this is not okay for you anymore. Um, so I did actually reach out to a therapist and I started seeking counseling for this. Um, and I've only had one session, but I will say the one thing we talked about already that was sort of helpful was that self-talk um, piece of this. And I have a really hard time you know, telling myself that I'm doing well, like I can't tell myself, give myself positive reinforcement basically, but I can tell myself like, maybe I didn't do that the best, but I did it the best that I knew how at the time. So, um, just understanding my own limitations in that moment, um, and accepting them. I think that self-talk is starting to be helpful. Like I didn't do the best that I could have done, but I did the best that I could have done at the time. So learning to talk to myself like that, I think is starting to improve my relationship with myself. <laughs> I'm guessing that you might also have perfectionistic tendencies, maybe. Oh, just a little bit. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. And I had a discussion on that with my neighbor and friend actually the other day. And we were talking about this negative self-talk and and always picking up on this, the stuff that you did wrong or that you could do better. And she's like, I don't get why you do that. Because when it comes to your dog, you're the opposite. Then you really tell him all the stuff that he's done right and you're <laughs> reinforcing the positive things. Why can't you do that to yourself or for yourself? And I thought, yeah, actually... You're right. I need to do some positive reinforcement training on me. <laughs> totally. Yeah, we are our archest critics. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that goes back to like that lesson and why having, you know, the dog that we got might not be the dog that we thought we were going to get or the dog we were looking to get, but perhaps the right dog for us in that we're learning so much about ourselves and how to be better to ourselves because of how we have to be good to them so true and it just reminded me because when we talked earlier um you know I, I wrote down your dog's name and I spelled it all wrong I spelled it b-o-d-y I think and you came back and you said no no it's not spelled um like that it's spelled d-h-i and you told me the meaning of the name and you're you're I'm gonna let you say it because I think this is the perfect spot to fit that in yeah. So his name is Bodhi, B-O-D-H-I. And it's a Sanskrit word for um, enlightenment and like, um, I think something else, knowledge and enlightenment or something to that effect. And uh, my partner, my husband was always like, that's so funny that we got this dog and named him Bodhi. What a joke. <laughs> but I'm like, he's actually doing that. He's like teaching me, giving me enlightenment. He's the perfect dog for that. So, you know, he might not be what we thought we were naming him, but he still is. <laughs> I love it. I love that story. And it's so perfect. It's like there there are personal self or personal development coaches or dogs. And so <laughs> true. I think actually this is probably a nice time in the podcast to wrap things up. 
but I've given you homework before we started recording, like I do everybody that comes on the podcast. And the homework was to think about what thoughts um, the words expectation, frustration, and celebration uh, evoke in relation to life with your dog or with Bodhi in this case. Yeah. Well, so frustration, I think the biggest frustration is that we can't just communicate. We've talked, like, we have gotten better at communicating, but my husband and I, we've talked about, like, if we could just have, like, one minute in our life with him where we could just say something and he would totally understand, we would just tell him, like, it's okay, we've got it, like, we're here to protect you, you don't have to protect us, and also... The thing that is so hard for him is he wants to be outside all the time. Our dog, like he lives to be outside and he gets to be outside so much less because he's barking and lunging at everything. So if we could just communicate to him that if he barked less, we would take him everywhere and he would be outside all the time. Like, I think that would just be such a huge lightning bolt moment for him. Because he like thinks he's so he's like so proud of himself for like scaring away the big bad whatever out there. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what we want you to do. We got this. And the world's not such a scary place. Um, so that's extremely frustrating. Um as far as expectations, we've talked about the fact that, you know, we got our dog for various reasons. Like I thought I was just gonna take this dog everywhere with me. I was gonna go sit at coffee shops outside and he just lay calmly at my feet and I would take him for long walks every day. I love being outside. I love going for walks. I love going for hikes. And, um, he's just, he doesn't get to do all those things and I don't get to do all those things with him. And, um, I used to be a really avid rock climber and I was very excited to have a dog to take with me to the crag. I was always so jealous of the people with their dog at the rock climbing crags. And, uh, like we can't even imagine, like if he sat, he's not a dog that can just like chill out somewhere. He's, if he's outside, he's on alert. So like anytime someone would walk by, he would bark and lunge. Um, he wouldn't be able to just like interact with the other dogs at the crag. So yeah, my life is very different than what I thought it would be with him. And, um, and yeah, I don't think I should say, don't even really climb anymore because I spend all of my time working with him or like all of my energy, you know, it just like kind of changed my interests just to keep him in my life as much as possible. Um, and then celebration was a good keyword actually, because like there's just all the moments of the day that are celebration with him. Like anytime you say like, Oh, do you want to go outside? He's like, Oh my God, we get to go outside. <laughs> this is so amazing. We're going outside. Oh, good. <laughs> or like, I'll say like, oh, buddy, you want to play now? And he just like perks up like, oh, we're going to play. And he's just this very joyful, playful dog. Um, he loves to chase us. He loves to run around. And his joy is very infectious. Um, he loves to train. Like, I love training with him. He's he's always up for it. Um, like, we try to keep sessions short, like like people say you should, just to keep them happy about it. But I swear he could probably train all day, but then I would, he would be very fat because he would eat all day. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to keep it short for, for that reason too. But yeah. Um, yeah. Anytime you get to do it, anything with him is a celebration. So that's all. That's a great, great, great note to end on. 
Elisa, thank you so much for uh, having taken the time to do this podcast, to talk with me. I am pretty sure a lot of people recognize a lot of the things that we talked about. Um, if there, if your story resonates with them, um, we've discussed that people can just drop me an Instagram message or an email or whatever, and I'll get the two of you in touch with each other so you can share stories. Once again, sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. You can find a link to the website with the show notes through either Instagram at the Russ Cattle Dog or through our Facebook group with the same name as the podcast, Rough Around the Edges. If you would like to come on the show and share your story with us, then you can also contact me through either of these channels. And last but not least, if you like listening to this podcast, then maybe consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the other platforms that you may be listening to this podcast on because they help us get found in the listings, allowing us to reach more people and help them feel less alone. <laughs>